Now, this, we're, today we're looking at a character who is very, very similar to, uh, to what I've just, I guess, described. A person who stepped out of the cultural norm. We're looking at a person called Deborah. And Suzette, you did a sensational job with that reading. Um, but I noticed every time we came to her name, it was easy, right? Because we know a Deborah. Anyone know a Deborah? Anyone know a Deb? Debbie? Deb? Deborah? Yeah? Yeah, I know a Deborah. I know, a, I know all of them. I know a Deb, a Debbie, and a Deborah. But, you know, they're all Deborahs, but some of them don't like the whole name. But this, this lady lived in a time in Israel where they didn't have a leader like Joshua or Moses, and they didn't have a king like Saul or David or whoever. All right, so this is, this is a time, and it's the time of the judges. They call it the time of the judges, all right? Now, it doesn't mean that people wore wigs and black cloaks and walked around and told people what was right or wrong. If you want to use a different word than judges, use the word leaders. But they're leaders with wisdom, okay? And so um, while you're in Judges, I want you to look at chapter 1 and verse 1 of Judges, how it starts off. And it says, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? Remember we looked at Rahab last week and how God had called the Israelites to go into Canaan and Jericho was the first port of call. Okay, And Joshua was leading them. Now we come to a point where, sadly, Joshua has died, and it's an end of an era, and they're asking the Lord, who will go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We, in turn, will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them, and they attacked And what God would do, he would raise up the next leader. We have all these judges throughout, uh, throughout this book. We have Othniel, we have Samson, we have Gideon, we have a guy called Ehud. Um, we have, what's some other judges? Anyone know any other? Shamgar. Shamgar is a pretty famous judge. He used an ox goad and he defeated a whole lot of people. We get to chapter 4 and we see a woman. In fact, she's the only woman judge. She stands out. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, did he use a man or a woman? Trick question. Yes is the answer. You know, if it wasn't for Moses's sister, he wouldn't have been alive. But if it wasn't for Moses, then, you know, God wouldn't use this guy to lead. So anyway, but yeah, ultimately, I guess he used Moses. After Moses died, Joshua. After Joshua died, God brought these leaders in called judges, and they would lead, lead the people of Israel. And there was a cycle, I don't know if you know, but there's a cycle of, um, of uh, life in the Israelite community 
under the judges. Um, for example, let's go to uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 7. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan, king of Aram, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel. If we go down to chapter uh, 3, verse 12, it says once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. And then the Israelites were under oppression of that king. Then guess what they did? Cried out to the Lord. Then guess what the Lord did? Send a leader to rescue them. Then they, they worshipped God and followed him. And then we get to the next one where it says, chapter 4, verse 1, as after Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You know, I could just preach on that verse 1 right there because it's really beautiful that we have a God like that. That you and I can actually decide to do evil. Like we're not robots. We're not remote control people. We're not forced into slave labor. We're not forced into doing good. We have a choice. Each and every one of us have a choice every day whether to worship God or not, to follow him or not, to add his values into our life or not. And it's beautiful that the writer always says throughout this entire book, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Guess who's watching? Guess who hasn't turned their back? God. He is watching them. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are watching. All right, But he hasn't left them alone. He hasn't turned his back on them. And likewise for you and I. When we do evil, not that we, you know, we wake up and we think, oh, I'm going to do evil today. Anyone think that? No. But when we do, when we fall short, when we mess up, you know, it, God doesn't turn his back on us. His eyes are always on us, waiting for what we're going to do. And so the Lord sold them. Uh, as, as Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, that's a pretty interesting statement there because when you want to do evil, when you want to turn your back on God and live in an ungodly way, when you want to run your life by your own rules in what, what you think is right and wrong and not by God's values and rules, he will allow you to live that way and walk down that path. We live in a world that predominantly chooses not to follow God's values. Infanticide is happening. We are putting to death children before they're born. We are seeing a confusion in male and female, in our whole society, the way God has designed things. And we're watching it unfold around us confusion and and 
And God allows us, God allows people, not just us, but like everyone, we are, we are, he just lets, lets them do what they like. But without, but, but with, there's always consequences. There's always consequences. I, I used to do things that made me feel good. I don't know if anyone else did that, you know, before Jesus, you know, those pre-Jesus times where you just, you did whatever you wanted to do because it felt good. And often, more, than, more often than not, whatever felt good wasn't going to be a long-lasting thing. It was actually destroying you slowly from the inside out. And this is what's happening to the nation of Israel. They turn away from God. God hands them over to Jabin. They think they know better. They think they're intelligent. And God hands them over to Jabin. Jabin means, it's a name that means intelligence. So God says, you think you're smart, you keep going down the path you're going and watch where it leads you, right? And so he does. He so, he sell, they go into the hands of, of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of Jabin's army was Sisera, who lived in that place, that whatever Suzette said, Harasheth. Hagoyim. Sisera had 900 iron chariots. Now, we probably look at that and go, oh, this is, you know, that's not much. It's actually much. This is technology to the nth degree in this age. What we're looking at in, in the book of Judges, I don't know if any historians here, but we're kind of going from the Bronze Age into the Iron Age. And so war, you know, weapons and things were, were made out of bronze, uh, but then they fashioned iron and, and more and more things were being made out of iron because iron was technology. Iron was long-lasting. Iron was unbreakable. It was tough. And Sisera was an army general, a commander, sorry, of his army. And the army itself would have been massive to have 900 iron chariots. He had it all. This guy, Sisera, he's a piece of work. He cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. That's a long time, right? Israel wanted to follow after the other gods, and this is what they get for 20 years. They wanted to live by a different set of values, and so they experienced life under those values. For 20 years, cruelly oppressed. 20 years. And so enough was enough. They finally figured it out. <laughs> 20 years later. So, oh, let's cry out to the Lord. Let's cry out to the This is enough. We can't handle this any longer. What we thought was going to be a good idea ended up being our worst enemy. And they cried out to the Lord for help. You ever been there before? You go down a path that you think is going to be the best path and you keep plugging away and plugging away. I know better than God. God doesn't love me. He has no idea. I'll do this because it makes sense to me. And then after a while, you just cry out to God for help. That's the best prayer to pray. You don't even have to say amen or in Jesus' name. Just help. And then we are introduced 
to this name. Verse 4, you got your Bibles? Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Okay, I am a man. And any men in the room here? Yeah, it's good. Can you guys multitask very well? Do you try? Because I try, I try, but I can't, I just can't do it. I flat out, I can't do it. So thinking and, and speaking is really difficult at the same time, chewing gum and walking in a straight line. Merging and having a conversation with my wife. It's not going to happen. Not, 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 you know, not, not, not intelligently anyway. Deborah was a multitasker. She was a leader that stepped out of the cultural norm and a multitasker. Now, I would understand that, you know, God would raise up a multitasker for this job. You know, someone who had a lot of things going for them to lead his people out of, out of bondage right, and into victory. But he rose up a woman called Deborah. She was a prophetess and she was the wife of Lapidoth. It's interesting that she is introduced this way because what it tells us is that no one knows anything about her until this happens. Everyone knows about Lapidoth, apparently. And, you know, oh, she's Lapidoth's wife. Who's she? Who's Deborah? Oh, I don't know. Lapidoth's wife. Oh. She's a prophetess. Oh, yeah. Watch out for those prophetesses. We don't use that term much in the Wesleyan Methodist Church, prophet. But it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're told in Ephesians of five particular leadership gifts in the church. And they are pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle, and prophet. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit prophecy. And sometimes it's pushed to the side or swept under the carpet because we're scared of what the person says. Or we've been hurt before because of someone who said they were a prophet and it didn't turn out that they were. Deborah is one of two people in the whole entire Bible that is both a prophet and a judge. Samuel is the only other person. Samuel, you know Samuel? Samuel that um, anointed King David. Samuel that led Israel. You know, he judged Israel and he was a prophet. And Deborah is the only other person in the scriptures that are, is described as the same as Samuel. She's a prophetess. She's a, she's a, a judge or a leader. In, in NIV, it says that she was leading Israel at that point, at that time. Judging is, the, is, a, is a, another word. But also she was the wife she was the wife of Lapidon, the wife, not a wife, the wife. So multitasking. She held, it, it says, let's read, let's read about Deborah, because I want to focus on Deborah. Oh, did I tell you something happened to me the other day? I was sitting in my car waiting for the kids after school. This was a while back, actually. And it happened. I never noticed it. Until all of a sudden, it dropped onto my, the bonnet of the car. 
a bee. Just a bee just dropped out of the sky, landed on the bonnet of my car. And, it, and I thought, oh, hopefully it doesn't sting me. I was about to swish it off of the bonnet of the car until I really noticed it. It wasn't going anywhere. It just sat there. So I, I got out and I looked at it. And it looked like it lost its sting. So I felt a little bit more at, at, at ease. But I looked at it more and I thought, wow, that's an amazing thing. Have you ever noticed a bee before? Have you guys ever watched bees in your garden? What do they do? What do they do? Come on. They, they go from flower to flower. Yep. They buzz. That's, this is great. Really good. Keep going. What else? Some have stings. Some don't. That's correct. You know, some bees, like I think it's in Indonesia, they can reach to something like, like almost an inch long. Just a big fat bee. Yeah. Anyone getting comfortable talking about bees? What else do bees do? They buzz, they go from flower to flower. Hmm, what else could bees do? Hmm, make honey. Awesome, you win the prize. <laughs> they make honey. Who eats honey? Yeah, I like honey. It's great. Bees, bees don't eat that much honey. They do, but we eat way more honey than bees do. And it got me thinking, you know what? There's people out there that care more about others than themselves. Have you ever met someone like that? And they just drop out of the sky. And you don't notice them until they do. And then, then they go and they do something else somewhere else. You don't notice them. But there's people out there like that. And they're like Deborah. And, and Deborah, she is that person. She just drops out of the sky, so to speak. She, she enters into this this narrative of, of uh, God's people, a whole nation, turning their back on God. And God raises up this woman who cares more about other people than herself. She gives and gives and gives. Now, we talked about Moses and Joshua, right? And any leader that leads God's people in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. Okay, so there's, there's something in that leader that points to Jesus. Okay, so Moses, let's have a guess. He's the deliverer. All right, he delivers them from Egypt through the Red Sea to the other side. Like it's a miracle, right? Through baptism underwater to the other side, right? He's a deliverer. And it delivered through the blood of the lamb on the doorposts at Passover, right? So there's that beautiful picture of Jesus. You can see Jesus painted in there. Joshua. Joshua. He's a picture of Jesus being the commander, the warrior, the fighter, the, 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 one who, the one who leads through victory everywhere God's people go. His name means salvation comes from God. God saves. Right? And then we get to judges, and every single judge actually points to Jesus. Now, you might think, oh, Samson, what's Samson going to do pointing? To... Like, we always bag out Samson because he, he succumbs to Delilah, right? Gets his hair cut off. You know the story of Samson and Delilah? Like, his strength comes from where? Not his hair. His strength comes from God, right? But, it, yeah, it does. No, it's a trick. I'm always asking trick questions. But 
But when he gets his hair cut off, he loses his strength, okay? Because it was from a vow, a Nazarite vow, right? And so there was the strength of God in that man to do amazing things, right? Amazing things. He was tough. He ate honey. He liked honey too. He, guess where he ate it from? No. Well, yes, a hive, but it was a hive that was inside a rotting carcass. Like, he's a tough guy. Somehow he points to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. All right? Gideon also points to Jesus. Each leader, if we're willing to see it, has some aspect of Christ in them. And Deborah, I think, this is just me, but you might, I don't know, you might see differently, but I see her as the giver, the one who gives, that lays down her life for her friends. You know, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down, give his life as a ransom for many, right? And, and Deborah, Deborah does that. She gives and gives and gives. Now, the story is, I talk too much. The story is that Deborah is sitting in verse 5. She held court under the palm tree of Deborah, named after her, obviously, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. They came to a woman to be taught. They came to a woman for wisdom. I, I can't understand why there are people out there in church circles that don't allow women to teach or to give wisdom. This is, this is happening. All Israel. It doesn't say just the women came to Deborah for teaching. It says all Israel came to her for wisdom, right? God had anointed her for the service of, of running a court, running a plate, place where people would come and have their disputes decided. And she would impart wisdom into that situation, led by the power of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and she would give her decisions or give wisdom into that or give insight into that or whatever. And in verse 6 it says, She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali. This guy, Barak, is living in a place called Kadesh, right? In Naphtali. And so she, she summons him to come to her. Everyone else usually just decides if they want to go to Deborah or not. But she, she calls this man to come to her. So she's got some clout. She's got some leadership. She's got some ability. Some, she has a leadership. And she's a woman. And Barak comes. And she says to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. She says to, to Barak, the Lord's called you to fight against this guy. All you've got to do is get what you've got and go to Mount Tabor. And God will deliver the guy into your hands. That's all you've got to do. And that's what the wisdom is that she's given to this guy, Barak. She says, his name means lightning. So he wasn't real quick though, because 
When she said this to him, he said, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. In other words, I'm not 100% sure I'm hearing from God right, but I'm pretty sure you are. So if you come with me, I'll be okay. But if you don't, I'm not sure if this is going to work out. So they go. They go to Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor, Tabor means cleansing, I think. Cleansing. So the people would, would the Barak and all of his 10,000 men go to Mount Tabor. And there's a woman. So there's 10,001 people on Mount Tabor. I love that. She's the only woman there. And I have an imagination, so I'm thinking, okay, so the men are wearing armor and they got swords and, you know, they're, they're dressed for battle. What's she got on? Like, you know, let's think about this. What does she wear? Does she look like, you know, Xena, warrior princess? Or I used to watch He-Man when I was a kid, a cartoon. Was a, he had, a, he had a, a friend called Shira. You know, did she have a sword? You know, did she pull out the sword and did she have, I don't know. I don't know, but I imagine she's a, she's a tough a tough person and, and a warrior. So not only is she a prophetess, not only is she giving wisdom, not only is she a wife, not only, not only is she giving her time, not only is she judging Israel, not, not only is she giving her everything to her nation, but she seems to be a, a bit of a warrior as well. She's ready for battle. She's, she's there with Barak, ready for battle, all right? But Barak says to her before they go, by the way, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And she says to him, okay, I'll go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will be, will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera, the bad guy with all the technology, over to a woman. Now, who's read this for the first time today? Anybody? Who's the woman, do you think? You know, in the story, as you're reading it, when the prophecy comes from Deborah to Barak, you know, when Barak comes with doubts and says, oh, look, I'll, I'll only go if you go. So he's not really believing that God's going to give him the victory without her help. So then Deborah says, okay, if you're going to go in like this, you're not the one who's going to get all the honor and credit. A woman's going to get all the honor and credit. Have a guess who the woman is going to be. You would think, you would think that it would be Deborah. Out of all the people who deserve the accolade, out of all the people who deserve to be noticed, out of all the people who deserve to have their name in lights or even just inscribed on a plaque somewhere on some wall in Israel, you know, Deborah did this for our nation. Out of all the people that deserve to, to actually own that victory for themselves, you would think it would be Deborah. Of all the giving that she's doing in, in her family, in her community, in her nation, of all she does for all the people around her, you would think that she would get some kind of thanks. Well, I wish I could apply that to our lives, but mums, you get it. Mums get it once a year already. You, you get thanked once a year. So, it's, you know, that's what you get. No, but seriously, 
you know, do you know people like that in your life? Like they never get thanked. They're always thinking of somebody else. They're always doing stuff for somebody else. And I think uh, when I read this, I think, oh, finally, finally, this Deborah is getting something back. Finally, the Lord's saying Deborah's going to get the victory. And so she, she goes with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned um, all the, the 10,000 men, and, and they went all together, and uh, they went up to Mount Tabor. Now, while this is happening, there's this guy, Sisera. He, uh, not Sisera. There's this guy, Heber. He's a Kenite. He's a relative of Moses. He lives in a place nearby. And they were friends. He was friend with the king that was that was oppressing Israel at that time. So he was a person who probably wasn't really following God at all. And neither was King Hazor. And neither was Sisera. But Barak and Deborah and their 10,000 were following God. They were stepping out in faith, wanting to see a victory for the nation of Israel because they were sick and tired of being under the oppression. And so they told Sisera that Barak and Abinoam, uh, sorry, son of Abinoam and all the others had gone up onto Mount Tabor. So Sisera then gathered together his 900 chariots and all the men with him I've seen figures of um, something like um, there's 10,000 warriors for Israel, something like 100,000 for Sisera, plus the chariots. So it's unfair. Sisera gathered all these people, right? And they go to uh, the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is it. Charge. The Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you. So Barak went down, followed by the 10,000 people, led by God, and at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. All right? Completely defeated 100,000 plus the chariots. I don't know how that worked. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'm thinking all the time, I'm thinking, okay, so now Deborah's going to come in with a sword. Now she's going to get the victory. Doesn't happen that way. Sisera ends up running for his dear life because he knows he knows he's lost. His chariot's probably bogged in the in the mud somewhere in that river area, and he's running. His technology has left. He he's just on his own. There's nothing else to save him. One day, one day, everyone will be like that. There'll be nowhere to run. Jesus will come back. And there'll be nowhere to run. Technology won't be able to save anybody. It'll only be what you've done with Jesus that will keep you safe and bring you victory and bring you eternal life. And so this sister up, he runs to a place that he thinks is safe. And I love this picture because it, this woman, another woman, J.L., she sees Sisera coming, and she's the wife of somebody else. And she says, come on into my tent. And he thinks, oh, this is all right. I'll hide here. And he goes in, and he says to her, oh, she says, by, by the way, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. 
And he says to her in verse 19, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. And she goes to the nth degree. She's like, I'm not going to give you water. I'm going to give you milk. She gives him milk. And he's probably thinking, this is great. This is better than water. This is amazing. I've just come from, I'm thirsty as from this battle that didn't go right. And she gives him milk. She lulls him into a sleep. She gives him milk and covers him up. And he falls asleep. And then she does this amazing thing. And I love how it's worded. Can we just read it again in church today? Church is such a safe, lovely place. All right. Um, it, let's look at verse 20. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground. And he died. Just, just so you didn't know that. <laughs> it's pretty gross, isn't it? And she kept him there with it in the ground until Barak came in and looked and he saw the prophecy come to pass. And Deborah, she doesn't get bitter. She doesn't say, oh, well, she doesn't deserve, JL doesn't deserve that victory. JL doesn't follow God. JL tricked this guy. I deserve it. She doesn't say, I deserve this. Deborah doesn't say, I deserve that. Does she? She could have. She could have been bitter. Nobody notices me, Deborah. Do you know what Deborah means in Hebrew? Be. Yeah, yeah, it's a bee. Just a bee? The kind that make honey? Yeah. No, not a bean. No, not beans. A buzz buzz, a honey bee. You just don't notice them, but they just work and they give and they give and they give and they multitask and they go and they go and they go and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going and everyone else grows around them. Everyone else gets the credit around them. Although she does write a song. Read it, chapter 5, because she doesn't give honour to anyone but God and people around her. It's awesome. But when it comes to the Hall of Faith, in Hebrews, I'm going to finish on this, in Hebrews 11, the writer goes through all these individuals in uh, Hebrews, okay, about uh, all these individuals that had faith, and put it into practice. We looked at last week, we looked at Rahab. She was one of, one of the women that was mentioned in Hebrews 11 that had faith. A prostitute that had faith. The other woman that's mentioned in Hebrews is Sarah. But the writer of Hebrews goes on and on and on. And in verse 31, for example, let's have a look. Oh, if, you, if you've got your Bibles, if you, if you don't, that's fine. I'll just read it. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
and verse 32. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. He's a judge. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. What? Why does Barak get the credit? That's not fair. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires what we're right, reading. And I believe it's on purpose because the Holy Spirit wants us to know something about Jesus through Deborah. That Jesus, I mean, you know, everyone's heard of Jesus, but he laid down his life for everyone. Like Deborah laid down her life for her family, for her nation, but she didn't lay down her life for everyone. And Jesus did. Jesus laid down his life for everyone. So that your name and my name could be written down. And I think that's a really beautiful thing we can learn about Deborah. And in fact, all the Deborahs in our life, whether you want to call them Deborah or mum or auntie or whoever, those people who step out and give, they're actually, they find joy in it. They find joy in, in seeing others grow and become more than what they are. She raised up Barak to a level of faith in God that caused his name to be written in Hebrews, which makes no sense to me at all. I don't see anywhere in chapter 4 of Judges, anywhere where Deborah gets anything. Or is given anything. She's given probably more work. But I don't see her given anything. Or receiving anything from anyone else. If you know a Deborah, this is the application. If you know a Deborah in your life, ring them up. Just say thank you. Keep going. I really appreciate what you've done in my life. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. Give them a hug if you can. Encourage them. Make sure you say their name to somebody else and encourage them to somebody else too. But I'm sure that they don't really care because they're just all about everyone else. Also, pretty sure we're good in this room, but if you aren't sure if your name is written in the book of life, then, then put, your, put your trust in Jesus because he went into battle for you and I on the cross so that we don't have to live defeated lives or even live in fear of what's going to happen next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the women in our lives. We thank you for the women in the Bible that we can learn about and learn from. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just uh, yeah, help us to uh, think about Deborah the people that are like her in our lives, the people who teach, the people who bring your word, people who, um, the women who um, speak prophecy even over our lives because they trust in you. Lord, help us to, to listen to their wisdom, help us to apply their wisdom. And Lord, help us to, um, yes, just to see their heart as you do. And uh, Lord, I just thank you so much that you honour 
people like that. Uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for Deborah and the things we can learn from her today. Amen.